0: Star Wars Legacy.html is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So, for all things podcasts, movies, music, media, and more, head on over to cageclub.me or like, subscribe, and follow on all of your favorite social media and podcasting services. And this is Forcelegacy.html. Woo! So we're continuing our deep dive into the Clone Wars TV series. I'm like, I'm I'm really having a good time. Every time I feel like I'm not having a good time, something pulls me back.
1: Okay, yeah, I'll give you that. I'm not having the best time. But I'm enjoying myself enough that I am certainly happy to keep going.
0: And I find that this is actually, like, easier to watch in large clumps than I thought. I feel like when I watch one at a time, I'm kind of like, oh, do I have to watch another? But, like, if I'm watching, like, six, I'm like, yeah, that was basically a Star Wars movie.
1: There's a few little things that make it kind of hard to watch in clumps at times. But overall, I definitely agree. This is a show that thrives on arcs and multi-part stories. So it's a lot more engaging when you're able to binge several in a row.
0: And, you know, part of it is that it tell so many stories all around the Star Wars universe, which I find exciting. I'm really enjoying all of these new characters. Not that I have anything against the classic characters of yore, and the long-forgotten Jedis of then, and the wherefore art thou Sith bad bads of the past, but I very much find myself like, ah, Luminara!
1: Gimme Luminara! Absolutely. This is the Star Wars galaxy, not the Star Wars tightening crew of the same people doing the same stuff over and over again they've introduced so many characters even just in the background already of so many films that there's so much to explore and it is of note that there
0: are whole episodes with more women interacting than films of star wars in the past yes whether it's ayla or fuck you know i'll put ventress on the list Padme having so much agency and so much action unto herself, I just find myself really excited about the potential of the Star Wars Clone Wars galaxy, even if each episode doesn't wow me and thrill me.
1: Today on the Star Wars Clone Wars chronological episode order list, we will be reviewing entries 12 through 18, episodes 8 through 14 of season 1
0: and for those at home who are like you know this does feel kind of all over the place I agree but finally having like six or seven in a row was like oddly comforting I felt good just being like oh I can let it play and I actually enjoyed how many arcs there were in this batch of episodes
1: there's actually a really fine example of why the Clone Wars is able to get away with such non-linear storytelling within this batch one of the episodes opens with Anakin missing and there's no preamble there's no action in the episode before that would have led to this it's just suddenly anakin is missing and it feels like the kind of moment in time that if they so chose they could go back and tell that episode of what led to this with anakin and it really paints a better picture of how they are going to be going forward telling stories like the ones that are more non-linear
0: It reminds me of being eight and being like, how the hell did Luke get on Hoth? I want to know how Luke got on Hoth. How did Luke get to Jabba's palace? I want to see those things. When did Leia get, I almost said implanted. When did Leia go undercover?
1: Yeah, there's actually a Star Wars Forces of Destiny episode that talks about the Leia one that you mentioned that, you know, it's not necessarily the most important Piece of story to have to look at but never forget that rogue one was completely conceived just because of one line in the opening crawl of a new hope i do want to point out that that weird
0: sort of pre mid cool sequel that rogue one i mean captured my heart right away they're doing a prequel to rogue one which stellan starsguard has signed on for and i am affectionately calling it somewhat anti-disciplinary zero because if it's coming before rogue 1 it's it's sort of like not there yet Scamp Zero. I just hope this isn't, like, The Hobbit, right? I hope Scamp Zero isn't just, you know, like, out of nowhere, they get J.J. Abrams, and he comes in, and he turns the idea of Rogue One, like, Jin Erso Muppet Babies into its own, like, Fast and Furious size, hey, Joey, franchise, and I just, I am worried because it's, it's weird that I'm so protective of Rogue One, but I feel like it's such a unique entry in Star Wars, and obviously, I've gone off track completely but still.
1: No, I don't think so. I think that Clone Wars is proving to me as well that you can linger for too long on an idea and perhaps embellish too much on an unseen storyline. And while it's fun to explore the many threads that are left open-ended, it's also important that we not belabor certain things either because then it just becomes tedious and something that I am already starting to find a little bit tedious as we go through these episodes is the number of plot threads that obviously are going to get unresolved pretty immediately The first sort of arc we'll be dealing with is episodes 8 and 9, Bombad Jedi, written by Kevin Rubio, Stephen Melching, and Henry Gilroy, and directed by Jesse Ye. followed by episode 9, Cloak of Darkness, written by Paul Dini, and directed by Dave Filoni. This is a little Padme Jar Jar Binks adventure that sees the capture of Newt Gunray, who is a significant character from the film series, who we know is not going to be a captive in episode three so immediately when they catch him at the end of the first episode i was like this can't last and you know i find myself getting less shitty
0: about those as we go i definitely felt myself start kind of aggressively like don't make me deal with it like i know that anakin's not gonna die i know that this ship is not gonna be a big but like I feel like the Newt Gunray ones are the ones where I can, like, let it go the easiest. I don't really give a shit what happened to him. So while it's great that he's here, he's a really easy-looking bad guy target, but he is just background nonsense.
1: So I was finally able to articulate why it bothers me, though, because I see where you're coming from, and I'm trying not to let it bug me too much, but I feel like coming into this project, you need to examine everything that's inevitable for episode 3. Which characters must survive, where they all have to be, and what plot points must be upheld, and then throw everything else out of whack. Capturing someone we know won't be captive in episode 3 is hollow, but especially when he gets away in the very next episode. Nothing says that he couldn't have been captured for months before his escape. That wouldn't have affected episode 3. But they keep doing these things where they're like, this time we're gonna catch Grievous ah he got away this time this time we captured ah they got away like it's it's all happening a little bit too fast which might be because it's only the first season they might not have known exactly how much time they were going to get and how many stories they were going to get to tell so I'm hoping that as the series grows we start to see them play a little bit more with these ideas and conventions and things that you can get away with without interrupting canon that already exists
0: and i feel like a great example of that is in giving amidala and jar jar a story together because we don't get enough jar jar in later canon that really what matters and happens to jar like it's it's so secondary and i don't mean this shitty to jar jar but jar jar is kind of like a fly on an elephant compared to padme like, I, like, not to be shitty, but if Padme is expected to remember and recount every adventure she ever had with everybody Jar Jar level, she'd be there all fucking day. So it makes sense that it really wouldn't come up because of Jar Jar. And it makes sense that this wouldn't be something Padme talks about. She doesn't get back with Anakin at the beginning of
1: episode three and is like, oh, my God, so many crazy adventures with Binksy. Yeah, pretty much. I definitely agree with that. And it's one of the ways in which I do appreciate that they are testing the tensile strength of canon that exists. He's not important enough in episode three that this isn't something they can do. I am getting a little bit tired of repeated plot threads where Padme is betrayed by someone she trusted and held captive. It's cool that she keeps busting herself out because she's a badass, but like... I don't know. There's also way too many fucking betrayers on this show.
0: And there's so many plans that are just, like, sitting in the wings, waiting to go, that involve setting up Amidala. And I'm like, Padme, you need a better schedule. That it's harder
1: to schedule your doom all the time. This is also a side note, but it's a personal pet peeve. C-3PO was way too articulated in episode 8. He, like can fully bend his knees and elbows and can pick himself up from being on the ground like that's not i'm sorry he just he doesn't he doesn't have that dexterity and flexibility i understand it's animated but there are so many things that other people don't let go about star wars canon and that's kind of a big deal about you know mobility And, you know, that's a really great way to segue into the episode itself. Padme and Jar
0: Jar come to this planet because this guy's always been a good friend of her family and her people. And, uh, nope, he's betrayed them to the unbelievably named Newt Gunray. I mean, low-hanging fruit, but what can you say? So then we have the scene of Jar Jar talking swamp. Which comes across like an offensive interpretation of Dory speaking whale in a way. And I actually am kind of like super great with it that he's like, oh, nope, they don't speak the same swamp as me. Ha ha ha. And Jar Jar being good at making friends makes me real happy because his friend is a giant neon glow monster fish. And I just think Star Wars could use more adorable monsters.
1: And I really appreciate that even when they continue to portray Jar Jar as incompetent, they try to make up for that in different ways he's portrayed as a buffoon for most of the first episode but he does insist on going back and trying to rescue padme for as often as he can be cowardly he does really have a big heart and it's important to show that side of this character because he's not so beloved but what i
0: did beloved was i beloved When Jar Jar was a Jedi Knight simply because of the robe, I am now convinced that you can like infiltrate a Jedi Master real easy. This is like walking into a doctor's office in the 80s and somebody mistaking you for the doctor and now that's the plot of your sitcom life levels of it's really easy to impersonate this religious order of super
1: soldiers and I am a little embarrassed. Well, here's something fun, a character I believe we will later named Quinlan Voss was originally slated to appear in an early draft of this he would have been working undercover and using his abilities to help make it look even more like Jar Jar was a Jedi but he was cut in the early stages of production because the studio didn't have the ability to include many new characters because of the time it took to create a digital model so they simply couldn't create the character, to have that be part of the plot thread here. There was a
0: little too much going on in this episode in general. I kept finding myself being like, you got three minutes to finish up, guys. There was even time for Palpy to show up at the end, which, fine. I just accept that Palpy is always gonna be around, Dooku is always gonna be around, and by accepting it now, I'll be a happier person in the long run.
1: I do want to point out, there was something weird going on with Padme's voice in this episode. Not even just her voice, but like her speech pattern. I I don't know. The episode seemed not to be able to find a balance in her voice. She goes from her usual, like, regal, very clear way of speaking, you will soon be destroyed, to this weirdly New Yorker thing where she's like, I can't tell you how many times. And I'm like, when did you have the backstory of being from Brooklyn? Queen Padme Marie. Queens Padme.
0: Speaking of Queens, I loved in episode nine getting General Luminara. I thought she was awesome. She has a different look and not to be, you know, biased, but the more Lady Jedi you give me when I've had such a dearth of them, the happier I'm going to be. I've seen the same sort of rote, general, basic male Jedi background character forever. And so getting some cool new females with some cool new designs, that's a plus just on a visual level alone. And Luminara provides something I really like, even if her last name sounds like Undo
1: like as in without dually. Okay, but if we're gonna talk about female Jedi, let's talk about Ahsoka in this episode. Just like busting out the torture tactics, I don't know where she learned that crap in the first place. I I don't think Anakin was quite as severe as this in front of her yet. She's like threatening to fucking kill Newt Gunray to get information, and Luminara's got to be like, "Whoa, kid." You know, and that Newt
0: Gunray scene actually does sort of expose the best and worst of the show. Like we said earlier, it's kind of that character we sort of know and sort of care about. And nothing really that bad can happen to them. Uh, and, you know, also it's like when Palpy is like, oh, Ventress fails so much. Nah, I mean, so does so does Dooku. So Dooku's got to keep failing. If Dooku suddenly succeeded and killed Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars series, we'd know about it in Episode 3. So... You know, in some ways, I'm actually really glad that this is a thin-on-plot episode. The the star really is Ahsoka's development as a character, and those torture tactics do kind of come out of nowhere. So, I'm happy to get this much development on her, though.
1: And again, the bad guy is ultimately a betrayer, which is starting to get a little old. I... Don't know why there are so many betrayers in the Star Wars universe, but this does give me a new perspective on Del Toro's character from episode eight, because I always found that really annoying. But now I guess seeing how many people turn on the Republic in the course of this war, when we're not even like 20 episodes into this 100 plus episode series, all right, I guess that's just how people behave in a galaxy far, far away.
0: And I thought it was a lot to ask me to believe Ashoka versus Ventress, uh, you know, in a palpable way, because I do love the idea that Ahsoka can stand up to someone like Ventress, but then when Luminara has trouble taking on Ventress, I'm like, but yeah, Ahsoka did so well for so long, so then them needing to team up to take down ventress was really cool i liked a lot of those visuals and slicing up the giant tubing and piping uh, but as far as your point on Argaius i was i thought it was really of note i was like oh this guy's got a really unique helmet he talks about how important it is that he can have decisions and so then he says that that's why they're so important and i'm like oh Yeah, maybe that's why the Sith keep failing, because they just have droids. And I'm like, oh, this guy, no, blue helmet, no, cool blue helmet, don't. And he says that whole thing about how it's important to break rules, and I'm just like, no, I didn't love that bit. You're right about the number of betrayers, but you know what I'm right about? Kit Fisto! We get Kit Fisto, Fisty, Fisty Fisto, Fusty Fisty. He shows up, and it's the best. And they mention it at the end of this episode, and there's like, Kit Fisto, at the end of the episode, and I'm so excited.
1: Which brings us to episode 10, which is sort of a standalone episode: Lair of Grievous, written by Henry Gilroy and directed by Atushi Takeuchi. You know, speaking of creators, I just want to point out that Paul Dini is super famous for his work
0: on a lot of the Batman animated stuff from the 90s with Harley Quinn and that whole Bruce Timm kind of era. So I would be remiss if I didn't say the writing credits on this show, the ones I recognize, are like wild. So I can only imagine the people I don't recognize are also significant contributors to something. This version of Kit Fisto compared to the Gendi version of Kit Fisto. I think his design is fun. I think the detail work that this series does that the Gendi didn't really adds something really great to Kit Fisto. And I found myself really amazed by Nadar Veb right away. I was like, oh, look, it's a giant prawn, which, of course, meant that he had to inevitably die. Yeah, I'm really coming to find that if I like the character, they die or they're evil.
1: And those are my only choices. My parameter is, did we see them in episode three? Do we like them? They're probably going to die. I did think that
0: this Gunray gambit continuing to go on and on, I maybe don't think Newt Gunray is that interesting, that I really wanted to follow his kidnapping across this many episodes, but I did think the video screen sort of deception... The the Jedi keep being made to look like chumps, and... It only works because Palpatine's in charge of everything. Mhm. But like then it's still more of that ugh, Palpatine's in charge of everything.
1: Why are we even watching this? There's no there's no victory that they can possibly score. It's just watching Jedi fail over and over and over again. That's the show.
0: So in that regard, it's kind of a bummer,
1: but I did love those creepy statues. Yeah, I really liked getting some Grievous backstory. I almost would have preferred that to be the two-parter, but it is probably better leaving some amount of Grievous' backstory and mystery as well. However, we were thrilled when we saw him actually bust out a
0: bunch of lightsabers. Because I keep being like, he's got one. He's got two. Oh, there's six. Okay. This guy's a Swiss army droid. And at the same time, there's sort of some like Sith Pennywise predatorness to him. He kind of gets that spider crawl going on, but he's still the fucking predator.
1: Yeah, a lot of this episode evoked very strong Predator vibes for me as far as Grievous. The lair and the statues commemorating old battles. It very much reminded me of when we see Predator's ship in Predator 2.
0: And this whole sort of, I guess, droid techno ecosystem on this ship with the Doctor Droid who has way too many fucking opinions. I loved sassy Doctor Droid. I don't know why you let yourself submit to these changes. What the fuck? Like, what plastic surgeon is... Can you imagine the plot of Nip, Tuck being Nip, Tuck, and Reed? Where it's like, you're getting your boobs done, but I would have gotten your nose fixed. Is that not what the show was? No, they were too busy fucking during the surgery. Okay,
1: but then that... So, I also loved Gore. Gore the cute monster puppy. I really appreciated genuinely so much that there was a giant monster and it wasn't a rancor. I love seeing bits of canon come up again, but I also love seeing us explore new things. So that was pretty cool. And speaking of new things, there's that moment where
0: Grievous has his face mask come off. And I actually found it to be like powerful because I think we see Grievous afraid for the first time in this
1: episode, not just angry, but afraid. And it was like the mask came off. And here's a bit of audio trivia. The scream that can be heard when his mask is being removed is the audio of his death scream from Revenge of the Sith. Wow. I also, you know, the the build
0: up to Nadar Veb's death was kind of frustrating because I was afraid he was going to fall to the dark side. But I guess knowing that if a Jedi steps off the path of the light, but not far enough into the path of dark that they just lose their way, it kind of weakens them, I guess I can... If I can just see enough Jedi lose to the dark side in that way, not that they all turn into monster killing machines, but they lose their path, they lose their focus, and thus they're defeated, like Emily Thorne having an off day in the Hamptons. I can work with that.
1: When I was a little Padawan,
0: my father was framed for taking over the Galactic Empire.
1: I ultimately enjoyed this episode mostly, but I liked Kit Fisto's episode in Clone Wars No The more, Uh, just because the action sequences were really cool. I don't know if half of the stuff that I liked from those episodes technically can translate into canon i know we're seeing jedi do all sorts of crazy stuff we saw luminara or ahsoka use the force on a control panel at one point and i was like oh okay that's a thing i guess you can do i don't know if we still are allowed to have underwater lightsabers though hopefully maybe we'll see something like that down the line but it was a pretty good episode The next arc is episodes 11 and 12, Dooku Captured and The Gungan General, both written by Julie Siege, directed by Jesse Ye and Justin Ridge, respectively. I really loved that the whole previously on narrative was like this whole fucking thing we didn't see.
0: And I kind of feel like maybe in some ways that's how you had to know that Anakin's kidnapping was a fake out or at least that the... Details surrounding the kidnapping themselves were secondary to the story we were going to get. And, you know, it starts out with Annie being like, I'm tired of being the bait. Yeah, but you're more logical bait than Obi-Wan. So maybe you're not a great strategy guy.
1: And it's one of those things where, again, Anakin, you're like, the most you can be is like 22 years old right now. You're fresh out of padawan school basically you need to understand that you know the adults are still in charge kind of a little bit it's not that you never get respect we've literally seen you be given respect and accolades like many many times
0: and you know you're gonna be hated and feared the galaxy over someday so just hang in there pal and you know, I guess if I had one big complaint, it's just Dooku sitting calmly in the middle of the room like Toucan Sam on a box of fucking Fruit Loops just like right there for you. It's just, uh, he's not entertaining.
1: I really wish we had gotten a clip of him going down that slide going, wee. That would have made me like him more. I also don't, like, there's little things that I don't understand. Like, why did the weird secret slide all the way down to his hangar bay have a fork in it? Because ultimately that doesn't really slow Anakin down much. It, it just leads him right to the same place a little bit slower. What? And, you know,
0: speaking of that, like, there's a point in the episode early on where Anakin loses his lightsaber. And I'm just kind of like, yeah, okay, he's not going to have a lightsaber for the rest of the show. As a matter of fact, that's why he becomes Darth Vader. His lightsaber's gone. Like, I just... Don't find it a necessary hiccup?
1: And a little on that same subject, I'm always slightly perturbed when I see Jedis using their lightsabers as flashlights. Like, first of all, if anything, lightsabers should have a flashlight mode so that you don't need to extend the blade all the way if all you need is light because that's like a three foot long beam of laser energy that can cut through nearly anything why are you just walking around with it as a light
0: source it's kind of like using the death star to make a grilled cheese sandwich i guess you can yes to take it to extremes yes and You know, so then when Obi-Wan's lightsaber is broken, I'm like, okay, damn, damn, damn. That's sort of adorable. It's a
1: little silly, but it works for me. I have to give this episode something. When it was titled Dooku Captured, I never assumed it meant he would be captured by someone else. That was pretty cool. Let alone the cast of Borderlands. Yeah, this is our introduction to Hondo Onaka, who is going to eventually appear in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge's Smuggler's Run attraction. So that's pretty cool and i actually loved the character right away i thought that the people of Vancor were like cool
0: scary and i enjoyed that a lot it was very entertaining i also thought the tk ballet that anakin used to lure them with the rock was kind of cute all in all this was one of my favorite two-parters
1: I just loved that they asked for a ransom of a million credits to be paid in Spice. That's basically like asking for a million dollar ransom, but paid in cocaine.
0: Well, when you're very focused on your product, you know. Also, tying Dooku up. Okay. There's this moment where Dooku kind of tries to get the... Vankorian smuggler bad guys to back up the pirates, basically, and he looks for a moment like he thinks he can take on all of them. And I actually wonder, did he consider it for a moment? Like, how fucking crazy stupid is a Sith? Because to be a Sith, you do need a pretty weird sense of self-preservation that is both extreme self-preservation and very little self-preservation. So I really wonder if for a
1: moment he considered taking all of them on. It was interesting seeing in this two-parter the lengths that Dooku is willing to go for self-preservation in that way, because I totally get what you're saying about that moment, and then in the next part we see him having to team up with anakin and obi-wan for the sake of his own survival it wasn't really a buddy cop episode i needed to see in terms of obi-wan and dooku and anakin having to work together i also thought like Obi-Wan came across as bizarrely submissive to Dooku throughout their whole interaction. Well, and before that even, I thought
0: Obi-Wan getting drugged alongside Anakin was so weak. You know, like that was that was a little see-through. Hondo's people turning on Hondo was a little tropey, but I was fine with it. If there was something that made me really excited about this episode, it actually was something that happened on the ship with jar jar at one point the senators like these ransom missions are sort of common and they regularly go wrong and i wound up a sex pig in a dungeon and i thought that was actually kind of like wow these senators really are putting their lives on the line every day in a way that just doesn't come across in the films so i thought that was a really definitive moment for my interest in the
1: galactic senate as people I agree, I really enjoyed that moment. Unfortunately, that moment was the only part of that scene and story thread that I really enjoyed. All of Jar Jar's faffing around with his seatbelt just stressed me the fuck out, especially because then, like, a bunch of people actually did end up dead after that scene. So that really takes all of the comedy out of him, you know, falling out of his seat and ending up in the cockpit. Ha ha ha. Like, three people died. I also was horrified by the sudden transition from Ahmed Best as Jar Jar's voice actor because apparently... Episode 8 is the only one in season 1 to have Ahmed Best in the role, and he did not return again until the other episode that we have seen him in, Supply Lines from season 3, and then three episodes of season 4. The rest of his appearances between are voiced by an actor named BJ Hughes, which I was relieved to find because I thought this was a very bad showing from Phil Lamar, but no, apparently not it's so interesting
0: that they would let actors switch back and forth like that. Like this is Becky's on Roseanne or something, but I guess it works. What doesn't work Hondo's men are all incompetent and insolent. So their attempted coup and to steal the spices. Like I just don't understand how pirates accomplish anything. And especially with, you know, when I see Obi-Wan, like Obi-Wan never fails at using his force suggestive power. Like, In some ways, I'm surprised Dooku wasn't like, you would make an excellent sith lek when Obi-Wan used his Force Suggestion power. Because, like, I don't know, Force Suggestion power seems to be a little bit more on the dark side of the Force than the light side of the Force. But it seems like Obi-Wan's real good at
1: it. I don't know i really do agree with what you're saying and i think that makes it one of those things that are supposed to give us an inkling that the jedi are not quite as pious and holy as they like to pretend that they are it's those behaviors that they explain away because oh well you know it's 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 relatively harmless But if you really made them examine what they were doing and whether it was right or wrong, it's hard to argue that it's justifiable, especially in most cases where it's used.
0: And like while we're complaining about Dooku stuff, Dooku's slowness and saltiness, just leave him, like sacrifice him, cut him open and wear him like a tauntaun. Tell us how you really feel. And, you know, there does come that scene where they cut each other free and... I I did appreciate that moment because if I'd had to explain away Dooku escaping while still connected to them, I would have lost my shit. I would have been so annoyed. So that in a logical way, he winds up breaking off on his own. Fine, fine. And to jump back a couple of episodes, I made that comment about, oh, R2 represents droid torture because this is a kid. No, they fucking torture the Jedi this episode. It's like straight up. But you know what? I did notice that it was like a lightning zap and force lightning is like
1: an acceptable form of torture in this universe. Especially because we have set the bar for what is horrifying Force Lightning torture so high from its creation in episode six, when we first see Palpatine torturing Luke. As long as it falls under that level of torture, it's acceptable. I did think, however, Dooku's murder spree at the end of this episode
0: was well beyond that acceptable level of torture. Like, Dooku just straight up was like, chop, chop, everyone dies. It was definitely a weird number from a Dooku-themed musical I just wrote. Christopher Lee's ghost? Call me.
1: The final arc we have to discuss is episodes 13 and 14, Jedi Crash, written by Katie Lucas, yes, that Lucas, and directed by Rob Coleman, and Defenders of Peace, written by Bill Canterbury and directed by Stuart Lee. Katie Lucas will be involved with about 15 episodes, and while this is his first episode, Stuart Lee will become a veteran Clone Wars director, working on over 20 episodes through the final season. You know, I love
0: hearing that people have this like 20 year period on this project because it really was a huge project they spent an incredibly long time on. And I think that's how we're on episode 13, but And I guess that kind of was like episode 17 of production or whatever, but there's a casualness to the extent of the battles we see in media res that's actually helping me less and less to mind that these fights weren't shown in the films and that these fights sometimes aren't even shown in the show. I think having had such a long time to work on it both before it began and over the course of its run, there really is, by this point already for me, a delicate magic that sometimes they miss, true, but they're really starting to find a rhythm them for the show that i connect with and resonates with me
1: and i liked seeing more characters being developed again we meet Ayla sakura in full for the first time in this episode and there's still plenty of other jedi that we haven't interacted with still so it's really cool that they haven't had to i guess go back and reuse anyone yet
0: but then the the side note of that is like I liked Master Plo a lot and I'm like, where are you at? And I like Luminara and I'm like, Where are you at? All right? What I do think is really great is how many different forms of drone they keep introducing. I love the sky drones. I thought they were a lot of fun visually, conceptually, and they gave us a really great sky-based chase sequence, and Star Wars loves sky-based chase sequences, except for maybe the silliness of the adorable green general droid. I thought that this pretty much could have been lifted from one of the films. Like, this was a really great chase sequence, and it reminded me about something we learned in an early episode. I really do feel like they're making a case for one Jedi is worth a thousand
1: droids. I really appreciated that this episode remedied a pet peeve of mine from Clone Wars No The, when the hyperdrive goes off, like, I don't know, I guess by accident. And they're like, plot every course along their last known trajectory. And I'm like, oh, okay, so you can't track people through hyperspace. That is correct. There were a lot of really cool hyperspace things in this episode that I liked. Them almost running into a star, like that's something that we have discussed previously, how you can't just, you know, fly forever, there are certain trajectories that you need to take into consideration, and certain large bodies of mass can't simply be flown through. So that was a really cool way to introduce drama into this episode.
0: It's also important to keep limits on some of the characters in that regard, and I thought like you see Anakin throw everybody out of a room, and then he's unable to defend himself even though he's trying to put everybody ahead of it. Like, you know, there were really great ways to balance the narrative here instead of just, oh, it's the limitlessness of space travel. Well, there's still a chase element, and there's still a trade. You can't just do things, and- That's something that I guess I'd been afraid that the show would lose because I'd heard about how there's like time travel and magic and gods. And so, like, I feel knowing that there's still reasonable boundaries set by the show keeps me invested. Okay,
1: I have a question, though, because there's this weird thing that I have now noticed for the second time. And I don't know if it's just an animation glitch or if it is one of those things that you're talking about that's going to be one of those weird magic things. But this thing happens to Ahsoka's face, where her eyes glaze over, and, like, it's very vivid. I've spotted it twice at least, and I don't know if it's simply an animation glitch or if that's going to lead somewhere. I don't know, but it's freaking me out, and I don't like it. I totally am with you on that,
0: because if it is a cool sort of... Ahead of the game, kind of like seeding something, I'm into it. And, you know, it's why when they try and tell me that Anakin may die, I'm like, no, they're not going to reveal that Vader was always a clone or a time traveler. So instead, by focusing on Ahsoka and Ayla and Rex, you're giving me something to care about. And then I am going to examine those things really deeply. And I'm going to wonder, is Ahsoka having a far off look constantly, the same sort of look in these major moments? Is it an animation hint as to something coming? Because this universe loves that. I mean, we even heard that they were trying to introduce a Jedi to the Jar Jar story who had to show up later instead. There's just a lot of threads. I'm
1: really glad I'm watching this after the fact instead of live. I agree, especially when characters they introduce that we are supposed to sympathize with in the narrative are frankly just kind of annoying. I didn't particularly care for the leader of the Lerman people. First of all, we colonized this system to escape your wretched war. What, what, the war does not last more than three years. At what point did you flee and then colonize, and now you're already having the war catch up to you? That you're being all blustery and being like, we don't want to be a part of this. Well, it came for you anyway, Buster.
0: And how long could you have possibly even been there? Like, that you're so set in your
1: ways. Do you guys have like gnat esque life cycles? Right? That's what I'm saying. And your names are weird. The one guy's name was Wag2, not like W-A-G-T-U or anything like that. Like, literally, T-O-O as a separate word. Like, I am also Wag. Like, maybe that's their version of Junior? However, I was glad that Junior here was a bit
0: smarter than his dad. I'm not saying that you should abandon religious beliefs, but by allowing the separatists to come in... And take over. you are permitting the murder of others. And there were just so many ways in which you knew how this was going to end. It had to end this way. But I did think it was really cute that WAG-2 got to be part of this team and
1: help the Jedi save Anakin. I liked that. And for as annoying as I found the character, the leader really was a good way of delivering the message that they were trying to deliver, which is... Sometimes it's not a moral choice. Sometimes you are forced into making a decision about these things. This episode also had something that I am ongoingly perplexed by, which is the battle droids sense of mortality. What is that about? Is it just for comedy? Is it something that we are supposed to connect to on a narrative level? I'm not really sure. And I think that's part of, like, the little
0: kiddiness of it, unfortunately. Oh, no, they all talk like this. Mow. And I think we're supposed to, like, think that's adorable. I just kind of find it childish. It doesn't
1: really move me. I I agree. I've been trying to think more and more about, you know, a lot of this stuff is... It's meant to be for kids. It's something that we enjoyed growing up on. And that's not to say that you can't also make it palatable for adults. It's a difficult tightrope to walk sometimes. But, you know, you kind of hope for better.
0: And, you know, there's other kind of like technical issues for me at times. I thought the ending of this episode was jarring. It just sort of came to a screeching halt. So when the episode after 114 continued directly, I was relieved. I did love the giant force fields and (laughs) like the tactics that they were using. I thought, I don't know, there were things about the fight sequence that dragged on a little bit, but for the most part, I found myself pleased with the resolution of this episode. It wasn't too anti-war. It wasn't too anti-religion. There was a strong balance of the several different facets of storytelling.
1: If anything, I would say that the strongest message of this episode was pro-survival and understanding what that might mean sometimes.
0: In a lot of ways, I think that kind of is true of Star Wars in general. Star Wars has had to adapt and change with the times. Fandom has had problems with the prominence of female characters. Fandom has had a problem with the prominence of characters of color. The idea of adding homosexuality to the universe. And sure, in 1977, that was okay. But fandom has had to evolve to survive the same way these characters needed to. You can hold on to your steadfast beliefs, but Star Wars had to change. And I think in a lot of ways, Clone Wars is a dynamic expression of that. I like that. And until next time, when we return to talk more about
1: Clone Wars, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Kevoreally, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y, as well as the Facebook page for this program, Husbands Talking More or Less, at Real Nico Kevo Action. And you can find the super cool, super fun, super inclusive superhero stories from Kid Riot over at KidRiotComics.com nico where can the folks find you you guys can find me all over this network mondays and thursdays with we are Krokoa and x's for
0: podcast where we take a look at the uncanny x-men comic book franchise don't forget to check out all of the episodes here on html where we talk pop culture at large you want to look at me you can check me out on instagram nico action N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, and until we come back guys keep
1: those kyber crystals burning may the force be with you and also with your force ghost